Before we dive into the conversation, I wanted to tell you about an event that's coming up really quick that our very own Adrian is uh, training at uh, with a couple of other really powerful trainers. Uh, the, the event's called Lodgewell Presents Lodge and Learn. And if you're a business professional wanting to spend time in a super cool city with some super smart people to help solve a super challenging business or leadership problem, then this event is for you. It's in Austin, Texas, June 25th to the 27th. So coming up here really quick. Adrian is joined by Jenny Brittenbauer, who has been a guest on our podcast before. If you've listened to that episode or you know who she is, you know she is a powerful, badass founder. She founded Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. She's the she's currently the founder and CCO of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. She has so much to offer to uh, in the coaching context and the supporting and mentoring context for founders entrepreneurs and business owners. We'll also be joined by Mark Edwards, who is a part of our organization, Take New Ground, and also has an organization of his own called Founder 911. Think about this, three days packed full of powerful content from these trainers uh, and these powerful human beings. It will be you and 15 other people in a room workshopping your very own leadership and business obstacles, problems, opportunities. So if you want to be one of the select few that are part of this workshop, there's a link in the description of this episode. Go click on that link, get registered as soon as possible. Seats are limited. They're going to go fast and we can't wait to see you in Austin. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to the Naked Leadership Podcast. This is Chad. This week, I'm joined again by Dan and Adrian, and it is yet another installment into our Harrison Assessment Paradox series. This week, we're talking about the self-paradox. It measures self-acceptance with self-improvement. So we're really talking about being defensive and being self-critical. There's so many powerful points that come out in this conversation, and there's so many opportunities for both self-reflection and team reflection. Can't wait for you to have a listen. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the conversation. My name is Chad. I'm here with Dan and Adrian as usual. Gentlemen, how are you? I'm doing great. Thanks. Good to be here. Awesome. This is yet another installment in our conversation about the Harrison assessment. And again, uh, the description of this episode, you can get all kinds of information on the Harrison assessment link to their website, find out what it's all about there. But really quickly, I'll just remind you it's uh, built on the theory of paradox. So we're, we're dealing with two traits um, or tendencies that seem to be contradictory to each other, but really when they're when when we're balanced in them, they're synergistic. They can work together to to create success in our work, in our life, and our relationships. So this this week we're talking about the paradox called self. And as usual, I want to start with the definition because that's important to make sure that we are on the same page together as we talk about these these terms. We want to make sure we're talking about the same thing. So the way the Harrison defines the self paradox is how you manage self-esteem and self-improvement. So in that definition, it gives us the two traits that we're, that we're measuring in this paradox. The first one is self-acceptance. It's on the vertical axis. And uh, they define self-acceptance as the tendency to like oneself. In parentheses, they say, I'm okay with the way I am. Um, and then on the horizontal axis, we have self-improvement. And it's the tendency to attempt to develop or better oneself. And we can see just on the surface how those can seem like contradicting ideas. One, we're saying, no, I'm good. I'm good with the way that I am. Uh, and the other one being the tendency to attempt to develop or better oneself. And you could make up, or at least I could make up. I do make up sometimes. <laughs> and in that self-improvement, uh, that means that I'm not okay with who I am today. And that's why I'm working to improve or better myself. Um, Dan, I'd love to start with you. You always have some really great foundational insight with these as we get started. And I'm just wondering, as we go into this conversation about the self paradox, what are you thinking about? 
Oh, I've got so much going on in my mind. Let me just see if I can corral it all. But it's interesting, first off, to note that um, this paradox, self, self-acceptance, self-improvement, is very closely related, as they all are interlinked, but really to the motivation paradox, which we're going to talk about, I think, next week or in one of these. In two weeks, yep. Two weeks. Um, but um, and, I, and I'll relate them when we get to that. When we get to motivation, I'll relate them. But immediately when I think about this, it's an interesting dynamic because, you know, self-acceptance and self-improvement, it, it's, you know, to define the self as a tendency to like oneself is an interesting dynamic. I mean, because what is self? That's really the question. What is the yeah. idea of self? And it's a, it's a psychological assessment we make of, of our of our who we think we are, right? Like if you think about it, when you're involved in something, deeply involved with something, you're completely immersed in it, you're not present. Yeah. Right? Like if and a lot of people call this the 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 zone or the flow state where the literally neurologically, your sense of self, which is distributed across your your um, neocortex starts to shut down when you get really focused on something like maybe playing tennis or, or maybe you're, you're writing a, a book or your, whatever you do that you really get involved in uh, the sense of self starts to shut down this time, which is across the neocortex. I said self. And then I think the sense of self is yeah, um, in another part of the brain, but it starts to shut down. Uh, in order to give more energy to your focus of what you're involved in. So what we have a tendency to do is make something up about ourselves. And what we make up about ourselves often isn't what we like. And so we have a tendency to get wrapped up in our own mind about justifying or condemning or patting ourselves on the back for what we've made up about whoever we think we are, because we've looked out and seen something that's happened and then we've started to reflect. If you think about it, when you're involved in something deeply, the only time you show up is when something doesn't go the way you want it to. <laughs> and then you, you start this conversation around what's wrong, bad or broken with me or what's good, you know, it's like blame, shame or credit starts to come up. Oh, I'm, I, I did really well, I must mean I'm this or that. And so accepting that process, kind of embracing it, noticing it, without having giving it a lot of accept a lot of significance allows me to be more flexible without having to defend whether I, you know, I, I should get the credit or I should beat myself up. I can notice that I'm going through this process and continue to focus on what I would call the second aspect of it, which is the self-improvement, which is really how am I, how, what am I causing out there? What's actually happening that I care about? And if that's happening, then, you know, that's, that's kind of like improving my performance or what I might term as myself. I might think that I perform well and then reflect it back on me. So giving myself kind of space to go through notice and even be entertained by some of the things I make up about what I'm doing and, and allowing myself to stay focused on that and the difference it's making opens up a huge healthy sense of who I one is, right? Because it's much more flexible and open and able to shift with what's wanted and needed in whatever, I, with whomever I'm involved with and however, you know, what we're trying to accomplish together. Mm. Makes any sense. And that's, yeah, Dan, what you're pointing to is that upper right quadrant. If, if our listeners remember each of these are mapped out on, on an X, Y, uh, uh, table and the upper right is that healthy balance. In this case, it's titled healthy self-esteem. Yeah. And that's kind of what you're pointing to, right? When, one, of, when, one of the things I try to remember and work with when I work with clients and work with is that I am not my, I am not my performance. I, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not, I, I am not my failures. I am not anything I can really see that worked or didn't work. I'm the one choosing what's going to be next. And so if I can, but, but I'm going to have all these things going on for me and they're not something I have to take and like carve in stone, which is what gets people stuck. Hmm. Adrian, what's uh, as you, as we approach this conversation, what's, what's up for you? Oh, I love that. 
Um, this is part of why I love hanging out with Dan is he always says things. It's like, wow. Oh, wow. I've never thought about it that way. Um, mm-hmm. so, um, yeah, this is always an interesting one. Um, I mean, again, like Dan, I've got many, many conversations to have around this distinction between, you know, accepting myself about where I am and then having a vision for the future, having a vision for the next version of myself or like having quote unquote improved myself. Um, we don't typically use that type of language that, you know, better, more different improvement is based on the past even, right? Like we only know if we've improved if the his- if history is the standard. So we usually talk about the future as the standard, what's possible as the standard instead of, you know, am I better than yesterday? I think that's a small man's game. Um, you know, am I living, am I living my potential? Am I expanding my potential? That's a bigger person's game in my view. Yeah. So, but anyway, that's a, kind of a first thought. And no problem with self-improvement. I mean, really, I'd rather somebody, I'd rather be improving than like be stagnant for sure. I'm just talking about some of the concepts that come to my mind. Um, so, and like this dynamic, I, I, when I'm do, talking about this with clients, most of the folks I work with have a low self-acceptance score, have a high self-improvement score. You know, and you're describing I, me. And I think that's, and I think, I, I, mean, I think that's natural. And I think I know it's normal. Um, uh, especially for the type of folks that, you know, aspirational folks really. Mm-hmm. And I think it's strategic as well. Like people usually are embarrassed by it, you know, or they act embarrassed or act like ashamed, which is part of the low self-acceptance. They're like ashamed that they have a low self-acceptance <laughs> score, which is perfect. Um, and, and then I usually try to let the, I'm like, hey, everybody I work with is like this. And they're like, Oh, whew, okay, good. Um, and I think it's strategic for this sense is that, and it depends on most of the folks we work with, I'll just say, I, most of the folks I work with, they really want to make something happen. They really want to make a difference in the world. They, and they, so that's part of what compels them. They're also running from something, uh, which is like, might be their biggest judgment of themselves, their biggest fear that somebody else put on them their, you know, biggest concern, their biggest self-judgment, like they're also running, they're running to and running from. And part of the, the weight of the running from is what shows up in this. Like, I don't want to be a fraud. I don't want to be found out. I don't want to be an idiot. I don't want to be a fool. Like whatever those, you know, or for me, like one of my biggest lies in my own head, as Adler called it, life lies is like, I'm lazy and I'm not very smart. Those are my two favorites. Mm. Favorites mean like they're around the most often. You hit mine. I don't want to be a fraud. So, you know, I'm going to educate myself. I'm going to show that I'm competent. That's, you know, and um, by golly, if I have to prove that life becomes proving I'm not a fraud instead of doing what's authentically so for me. Yeah. Because I'm going to have to look like a fraud probably to accomplish it. (laughs) Right. Right. So I'm with you. Yeah. Same, same for me. Like if I'm scared, if I'm insecure about my own intellect, I'm probably going to be trying to teach you about how smart I am. So, you know, and let me say these things and let me try to be the smartest guy and let me, you know, say this quote, blah, 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 all these ways it can happen. So my point is that most folks, and uh, sorry, I'll finish that point. It's strategic because, you know, if I'm, if I don't accept myself very much and I really high high priority on getting better, quote unquote, on getting better. That's a pretty good framework for actually taking new ground, if you will, or like um, climbing the ladder, climbing the mountain. You know, if I'm, if I'm incessantly undersatisfied with myself, but also incessantly um, pushing myself to do more, then that's, I'm probably going to work myself like a hard boss. Yeah. Would. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this kind of, we've talked about this before, like both the employee employer relationship we have with ourselves, like <laughs> we're all, we've set it up where I'm the piece of shit that needs to be tended to. Yeah. And I'm the boss that needs to tend to the piece of shit. So it's like this thing, like driving oneself, it, you know, a lot of my, I mean, a lot this changed when I took it, I, I, I took it two years back to back and this, this dynamic changed over that time. Um, but like one of the, like the previous default settings 
was my, my, what I characterized was the in, my inside voice was like a drill sergeant. Like, get up, work harder, suck it up, don't look bad, you're not normal. Get, you know, it's like a, like a you know, in my face type motivational pattern. And I think that comes out of the low self-acceptance, high self-improvement. That's my experience anyway, is most of, look it over our shoulder. Like that, a lot of that dynamic of, you know, do they, do they, and it, it ends up happening, like ends up be showing up like insecurity, but it's really, this is the, this is the soil. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I work, I, we've been together for 10 years and the thing I have to say though, you're obviously, you're obviously, I think you're very aware of it because you're not very rarely are you defensive. I've only seen you defensive like a few times and that's where it really hurts. I mean, I think, being, it, it's like, I think the thing here is not that you're, you ought not or do it or you do it or you don't. It's, it's more like, yeah, you do it. It's like built in. It's, it's, it's yeah. already pre-programmed and you're just an acceptance of it, that that's part of the process. And I think, I, I know one of the biggest, this, if you look at the paradox, if you're really overbalanced on the, on the, the, self-improvement low on self-acceptance, the tendency is to be defensive because I'm already on myself about what I didn't accomplish. And I'm assuming that I already know what somebody's going to say to me uh, feedback wise. And I've already made myself pay, which kind of gets me off the hook from having to, that's the shame racket gets me off the hook from having to investigate and hear what others say. Yeah. I mean, I'm speaking from experience, obviously. And, and so to be like, there's to get to the place where I can accept that. Oh, wow, man, I'm trying to cut them off at the past. So I don't have to, I can be, you know, I can already have this handled so I don't have to hear what they have to say. And what I miss is the things they have to say that I never thought about yeah. that I couldn't see. Cause I don't see me performing. I don't see, and I keep forgetting that I'm not my performance. And yeah. so it's hard to hear about my performance. I think one of the most profound things that happens in our Academy for Effective Leadership is people being able to see themselves on camera. And it's just so good because it flushes up. I know for me, every time I see myself on camera, particularly when I was younger, all the judgments I had of myself. And I the worst thing to do is watch me on camera and all of a sudden my listening would shut down because I was too busy defending myself to myself. (laughs) And being able to to kind of get acquainted with that process is such a powerful thing because it's never about getting rid of the process. It's what's the process telling me about what's wanted and needed from me. Yeah. You know, that's great. I'm, I'm just thinking about some certain clients right now. Um, that I love and cherish my relationship with them and thinking about those that when they struggle, where the conversation is. And a lot of the conversation is about, about why they're struggling instead of about what's possible for them. Yeah. Why they're struggling and what does it mean about them? Right. That's mm-hmm. right. Which is where the, so we're not, we're not going to, I don't want to go into this now, but that's where the stress I believe comes from in the motivations paradox, because it talks about stress management, but if we, you know, like, what does that mean? (laughs) And and I I say it goes back to this, this conversation about what I'm making up about who I am to myself, who I need to be for others, who others are for me or who I think they think I am, you know, that old saying, Uh we don't react to other people we react to who they, I think, who we think they think we are. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. I was in a conversation with a, a, a client that I really love. And this person was, is up against the hardest moment probably in their career. And this person's question to me was, um, or statement, I think this person's statement was, I just, I don't know if I have what it takes. And I said, you don't. You don't have what it takes. Right. So let's move on. Like, like that's, that's, I mean, that's a given. <laughs> yeah, you don't have what it takes. Do we move on past it? Cause that's a lot of this person's questioning was about how they're, how, how he or she was doing in the moment. And it was so, 
And I think this is a little bit of the culture we're in. Um, even self-help, in quotes, usually isn't that helpful because it's, you know, mental masturbation about my past or it's, you know, some kind of justification about why I ought to spend another four hours on a mountain instead of being the dad I want to be. Mm-hmm. You know, I want to go think about being a dad instead of just go be a dad. You know, anyway, I've got some, obviously some feelings about all that, but the, <laughs> why don't you tell us your, tell us your real judgments. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with being on a mountain, but I'm just saying the self care can be just another glorified version of, of selfishness. That's my point. It's not always like that. Go take care of yourself. What's up? Well, I was going to say, we hit the other side of the paradigm, which is that self-acceptance side, right? Yes. I could. Self-acceptance is an interesting concept because what I think it tends to get translated into is self-justification versus, mm-hmm. oh, I'm a process, I'm a happening, I happen all kinds of different ways. This is interesting. I wonder what this is telling me about what's going on for me now with this person versus I've arrived and I've done everything I need to do and I'm as accomplished as I want to be. And there's just, you know, nothing else for me left. And I don't want to be anything else. And why should I even worry about that? And so who cares about performing or giving any more than I've already given? That's a very different self-justification. And I think that's what, when you start getting up around that imbalance where you're high on self-acceptance and low on self-improvement, it gets into self-justification, like, yeah, just the way I am. Sorry. Well, you know, you know what? So that's the, what's interesting. The word that comes to mind is the word stuck. Yeah. And I think the word stuck happens in both the top left quadrant, which is the defensive quadrant and the bottom right quadrant, which is the self-critical because people can be really long on self-improvement and short on self-acceptance and just always be thinking about what they should be doing, what they ought to be doing, like what their best friend that they look up to is doing. And then they're just, you know, spending all this time spending about what should be happening. And now they're saying I'm stuck because they haven't accepted what, where they are. Um, You know, so it's always in this infatuation with the future thing, instead of engaging the future, you know, engaging what they want from where they stand or, so that's when they're stuck, quote unquote, or also top left is stuck defensive, which is like, you know, I've got, I like who I am and I don't know why it's not working. Why aren't these people listening to me? I'm I've doing, already looked at it. I've already I'm, seen it. I'm doing the best I can. I'm, you know, I'm trying over here. What the hell, you know, like that, blah, blah. And they, so they're stuck. They won't probably complain like they're stuck internally. People in self-critical complain they're stuck internally. People up in the defensive complain they're stuck externally. Other people suck. I don't know how to do that. I'm doing fine. The situation sucks. The market sucks. The president sucks. The blah, blah, blah. Something else out there sucks. Um, and they're stuck because of others. Yeah, another one is, I'm only human. That's the self-acceptance side. Hey, I'm only human. I'm only human, man. I hate that statement. I know. <laughs> what do you mean, only human? <laughs> Could you ask for more? <laughs> yeah. Or people say, you know, they say the phrase, I am, it is what it is. That always gets me. I, I don't know what that means. Like there, you, there might be a way that say that. And it's like, it is meaning like, I want what it is. And let's start from here. They usually don't say that. It is what it is. It's kind of like this kind of resignation um, yeah. statement. It is what it is. Like I've done all I can do. What else is there? What do you want from me type thing? Well, I bought both of those. I bought both those t-shirts. I've been on both sides that way. <laughs> I know it is what it is. I'm, I'm noticing a parallel that um, I haven't quite thought th- through all the way, but it's, it's interesting to notice like a lot of our clients, the high performers, the, the hard pushers uh, have a hard time stepping away from their work. And um, it, it seems like there's this parallel between high self-improvement, low self-acceptance, maybe even in our work as well, like high work improvement, high situational circumstantial improvement and low current circumstance acceptance 
if that makes sense. I, I don't know how else to, to describe it, but like, I I'm just speaking for me personally, mm-hmm. when, uh, I shut things down at five 30 or six in the evening, it's hard for me to let it go because uh, I think that's time that I could be using to further my work and my business and my income. But ultimately the best, the, the, the balance choice at that moment is to also accept the work that I did for the day and, and leave it knowing that I did something that furthered the company, furthered our work, improved our clients' lives. And now it's time for something else. <laughs> right. Um, it's just interesting. Cause I, that's my experience with a lot of my clients is they have this difficult time putting it away, being, being accepting what it is that they've done. I, I think some of that, when you say that I'm, I'm relate to it, when I get in that place, it's like, I think I am my work. Mm-hmm. Like, Somehow, if I'm not successful at what I'm doing, I'm going to lose my sense of self. Mm-hmm. Like my, my value comes from my competency. Mm-hmm. I am confident. And if I'm not competent, then I'm not lovable or I'm not, I won't make a difference. I mean, that's yes. some of the stuff I've explored. And to, to unplug from that, there's, I, I notice there's a lot of things that go on. There's some hierarchies in there. Like if I'm perform well, I have found myself comparing myself to others and I feel like I can socialize better because now I have an edge. I perform well, I earn more, I do this. And, you know, it's an interesting thing. We, I remember doing a number of trainings as a young trainer through my becoming a trainer. And they, we would go through the training and you couldn't talk about who you are, what you did. You couldn't talk about what you did outside. You could only be with each other based on where you, each other. There's no, hey, I'm a lawyer, I'm a doctor, I'm a, you know, and the, 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 it was so interesting to see how we were with each other. And then at the end, when you find out what other people did, it was very interesting because you have a whole different basis of relating to them. Instead of their, what they're doing. I, I remember one doctor I used to train and I this one doctor stand up and she says, my name's so-and-so and I'm a doctor. And I raised my hand. She goes, yeah. Cause I was training and I go, well, don't worry, you'll get over it. And the whole room came undone and she was really offended. I said, see, you're not over it yet. And <laughs> we became very good friends, but she was wrapped up in that chair for about a three or four hours before she could unwind <laughs> and talk about what was going on for her. I thought maybe I pushed that one too far. <laughs> I love that. That's great. I mean, I think that happens to all of us. I mean, absolutely grow up. Right. I mean, you know, because we want to, we're trying to find who we are. And we, and the idea that who we are is like something, something instead of, like I saw this great sign. There's this, there's this mercantile down the street. It's a, I live in this little town called Horseshoe Bend. There's 700 people and they change the sign. And every, you know, they have these quip, you know, little quips up there. And this one said, don't give up on the person you're becoming. I just love that because. Uh, you know, it's like we're always becoming. I'm always becoming. I'm I'm 65, and I feel like I'm reinventing myself anew, again and again and again and again. Right now, right, like what we're doing now, and and I, I think that old age is really the symptom of I'm already there. I've arrived, and now all that's left is the end. Like I, there's no more being for me. I I've already become. You know, Soren Kierkegaard said, we haven't happened until we're dead. That's when we've happened. So like, that's why in any moment we could transform, we could happen new. That's a, a really good segue, Dan, to actually something that I wanted to, a concept that I wanted to talk about with you guys in relationship to this paradox. And it's really popular to especially in the self-help in the coaching industry to talk about living your full potential. And that, that S the essence or the idea of full potential, like living it now has never set 
very well with me because if I'm living my full potential today, what does that mean about tomorrow? Like, where do I, where do I go from there? Right. Is, is self-improvement done? Is that, is my potential done? And, and that, I mean, it goes beautifully with that, that Kierkegaard quote you just said is like, I don't think full potential is realized until we're in the grave. I mean, that, that was his point is like, um, you're always becoming right. Like, think about this. I, I, I know you ever notice you're different with every person you're with. Like if you go sit down with somebody, I've noticed I show up differently than I do. Like when I sit and talk with you, Chad, I noticed there's a, you bring out of me a different set, you know, I don't know how to say it being a way of becoming than I do if I'm just sitting and talking with Adrian. And I noticed that with everybody, I, other parts of me are called out. And, and I, I think there's a tendency that if I'm really like, like to let somebody do that with me is, is very powerful. Like I love that happening, but I've noticed there are times when I think, well, no, that's not who I am. I shouldn't be this way. I shouldn't let that yeah. come out. So then I'm going to now project something I, who I think I am. And I've done that too. And that never works well, at least. And if it does work, that's really a nightmare because now they like someone I'm not, you know, I'm now, now there's a distance <laughs> between who they are and who I am. And do I, like who, what, what happens when they find out that that wasn't really where I was at or what it was real for me. Yeah. Yeah. How come that, why, why did that come to mind, Dan, when I, when I brought that up, what was the connection there for you? With, with, with that? Mm-hmm. With, well, uh, I talked well, about living your full potential or this yeah. idea of full potential. I don't know my potential. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I don't know about you, but but I played ball, football, and I played baseball, and I played basketball as an All-American in football. And I remember I really didn't care about playing football. What made me good was the coach I played for. I loved playing for this guy. He, he for, for instance, I was really a big kid, fast, very gifted, and I lied to him, told him I, I left – and skip practice. His name is Bill Silva. And my friend and I put on our backpacks and rode our bikes out of town and go backpacking. And he happened to drive by on the way to practice while we were leaving town. And I said, I was sick. I didn't see him. So I came in the next day and my stuff was packed up. I was off the team. And I went in his office and I said to him, you know, what are you doing, man? Why am I off the team? He goes, you lied to me. You went backpacking yesterday with your, with Pete. And I saw you. I said, and I admitted it. And I said, well, you know, can I get back on the team? He said, no. And I was like, wait a minute, you guys are going to win like you could win with me. Like, because that might be true, but we're going to, who knows? We might be better without you. And man, I went home and thought about it. I came back and I was in tears. I said, is there some way I can get back on the team? And he said to me, you get every one of these team members to get behind it. And when every one of them is standing, you're on. If one of them doesn't stand, you're out. And I spent the next two days doing that. We had this team meeting and they voted me in. And they, my terms for getting on the team was to, to run 50 Burma roads, which the school rec in a week, in, 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 five, in five days, but I only had four days because I'd spent Sunday and Monday getting the team to agree. Now I had Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before Saturday's game. And if I, I had to run them and the record was 20 in a week, I had to run 50 in four days. And I'll never forget, I did it. I did it. And, and what was really, and I had to run 20 on the last day. So these things are like 100 yards. So you'd run five yards down the field, throw a crossbody block, run five down the field, do a stem block seat roll, run five, like 100 yards. I had to do 20 of those in a day. And at the end of the last day, the team, nobody would go home till I was, they wouldn't go home. I didn't ask them until I was done and they brought the cars out. And what it brought out in me was something I never knew was in there. And if Bill Silva hadn't taken that stand, I would have never accessed that kind of character. I remember, I mean, and I only played, and then he didn't put me into the second half of the, of the game. And I had a great game, but what was more important was I enjoyed not being in, watching the team who had stood with me. And all of a sudden it didn't matter if I was playing or not. 
Mm-hmm. And I, that was never there before. I, I didn't, I wasn't aware of it. It wasn't fun. I was always anxious to get in. Right. And so there's a, that's, it's true. Potential is what I think other people call out of you. Like, like it, it's a, it's called out of you. Right. Mm-hmm. And when somebody really cares for you, and stands for you, then that part of you, and that, you know, a great leader will call that out of people. You know, even in their faults, right? Yeah. And to this day, Bill is, every time I see Bill, it's like, let's sit down and talk, man. I could talk to him forever. Yeah. Simple man, very simple, hardworking. I, I, I met him just a couple years ago, we had lunch, he's rowing six five or six miles a day it's take it must be like this he says he rolls for two and a half hours a day and his doctor told him to stop rolling so <laughs> he's like that he's like that kind of guy yeah. i think about when it comes to this human this um live what would you call it? living your best life living up to your potential full yeah. potential living full, your full potential living yeah. your full potential yeah yeah well, Dan, I think Dan's story is that, you know, under, under, after being stretched, after being challenged, more of you is revealed. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And something new can be revealed. If you and, answer the challenge. Yeah. If you answer the challenge. And that, that's part of potential. I fear that, I think when most people say it, it's, a, it's an emotional, um, it, it's like feeling a certain way, like feeling really alive. Um, is what people are going for. Like the feeling of, because I don't know what it means to live your full potential. I don't know if you ever, if you're there, you're probably not there. If you think you've arrived, right. you're not there. Right. So right. Um, and even the pursuit of it usually is, I mean, I was hit this, this week, this weekend on one of the days is thinking about like, I think it was, it was an old Warner idea that the way like people are, because of the way they think the, because of the way they pursue happiness or because of how much they want to be happy, they guarantee they'll never be happy. And, you know, I think about that, like with this full potential thing, like if I'm, if I'm always aiming at this full potential thing, as if it's a thing to even, you don't even know if you're there, <laughs> then, you know, it's going to be, you know, either I, my experience is there's going to be lots of despair or my thought is and even probably my experience, but there's going to be a lot of despair because you're never going to quite be there and ought to feel a certain way. Cause how do you know if you're there anyway? We got to I mean, stop and observe. And the minute you stop and observe, you pull yourself out of what the, the happening where you are. That's you're right. In the living in this, yeah. Shoes. And I spent so much of my time living in this evaluative conversation about how I was doing. So I was always judging. I was like, you know, being myself, I like whatever, at play, but also the guy that's watching from the other camera and, you know, giving commentary on what I was doing, what I should be doing and such. So therefore, I think to your point, you can't ever fully be present. There's a handful of times I remember really being fully present. And, you know, I don't remember much about those times, except for that, it, that I, I felt not there. Like I felt, trans, you know, I think Werner calls it transparent. transparent. Yeah. yeah like leadership as transparent. So, um, you know, but we're all, I think we're, as humans, we're, we are naturally driven to monitoring and measuring ourselves. And like this full potential thing is like a really sweet, cool, rah, rah way of doing that. Um, you know, rah, rah, like, like hyper, I'm like, Oh yes. And it's a great sales line for lots of people and whatever. Full right. potential. I don't know what it is. I, I, for me, it's like the pursuit of it is the goal. The pursuit of, you know, what does full engagement look like? If I, even if I ask myself that question and can I fully be here? Like, am I fully here? That's a great question to wonder in like being here, you know, like just saying what's there for me, being really transparent, being really wide open. Um, That leads into the motivation thing too, man, because there's, I think what you're hitting is vital of full involvement. When you fully involved, when I'm yep. fully involved, there's not a lot of thought about me. Yep. The thought is about who I'm with and what I'm up to. I'm thinking about my children. Like, you know, if you have children, I think the biggest thing that stops that has stopped me from being as a, you know, when I haven't been effective is that I'm worried about if I'm going to get hurt 
am I going to do well? Am I going to look bad as a parent? What's the right answer? Instead of when I've had my best moments with my children, I'm so involved that even my mistakes communicate love. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. Like they, they get it. And they've actually said that back. And I think, like, I, I, mean, I look at how I've been with my family at times where it's worked, and I think back to that football example because there was no evaluating. You just either did or you didn't. And <laughs> it was fully focused, all in, or you're not. There was, there was no in between. Yeah. There's there no gray. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's something really valuable about that. Yeah. Well, you know, it's like part of it is for me, like this to this paradigm is real. I've, I've called myself this recently over the last few years. It's like, I'm just a mixed bag, right? I'm both really brilliant and not. Yeah. I'm really, you know, I'm compelling and not compelling. Mm -hmm. I'm really caring and not. I'm really sharp and blunt. And blunt. Right? <laughs> it's like, I'm just... You know, I'm kind and then I'm blunt, right? I'm like giving and I'm selfish. Like it, is, it just is. Like all that stuff isn't mixed together. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I know all those Adrians. Yeah, you've seen them all. Yeah. yeah. You've now you're talking them. Pascal. You know, that's Pascal. You know that. No, I don't know that. <laughs> oh, so Pascal talks about we're both devil and angel, saint and human. And the point is we're in constant conversation that way. We're, we're, we're wrestling between these poles. Mm -hmm. And and that who's going to come out? Well, that's the big. See, if you read his Pensace, he talks about the, the that dynamic for as a human being, as we're becoming, we're in this constant dynamic of survival, self-protection, love. You know, like you know, and he he kind of refers to it as I'm going to butcher him up here, but devil and, and angel, God, sure. and you know, like like yeah, we're constantly wrestling with that, and to think that we're going to be one is to really empower the other. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, you know, it's, oh, I'm going to be always good. Well, you know, you've seen that. Somebody can be very hyper-religious, but behind that facade are things that they can't share with others that they've done because they judge themselves for it. And vice versa, you can think yourself so horrible. And we've seen this, you know, the James Dean character who's, you know, so they thinks he's so horrible, but turns out to be very loving, right? And like, both are operating. And so the idea is to be, to embrace the kind of hug the cactus of it yeah. all, accept it. And yeah, I, that's what I was. I'll thank you for that background, by the way. And I think, at least for me, I've gotten a lot of room in my life. For that, I mean, this is like a lot of self acceptance and self engagement, which I might call self improvement, self engagement. I don't know, um, but the. The uh, as I've started just to realize these polemics internally for me, and therefore I can like cut myself some slack because then like the selfish moment I'm in, it's like well just make a new choice, man. Okay, I can like go be of service when I'm if I'm feeling like if I'm being irritable, I can go be loving. If I can, you know, if I'm whatever's going on, I can just choose right contrary action. We call it. Um, I can make that choice, and I'm not here to defend anything. Yeah, I'm really selfish sometimes. Yes, I'm very self-involved. Yes, I'm really. Blah, blah, blah. So anybody's accusation for me is right on. They're accurate. Mm -hmm. Yep. Not surprised. Yep. Right. Oh, you know, I steamrolled. Ugh, not a surprise. Sorry. No. About that. <laughs> saying, right? Find the truth in your enemy's accusation. Quick. Yeah. Mm. So that's yeah. like, as I'm, you know, the top right quadrant of this dynamic is this healthy self-esteem where um, I know that I am, I'm, I'm, I'm all of it simultaneously whenever, like I, yes, I've got great things to offer and I might not offer them. Yes. I've got poor intentions to offer and I might not offer them. And that I'm just this dance, maybe this Pascalian dance. And that, that usually what helps me because then I'm over it. I'm not in some kind of like, who am I conversation? I am, I, I'm in like, what choice am I making now? Which usually is where the most power is. I think for most of us, because even if even if I think I'm a certain way and I'm just doing that, but I'm doing it in like a checked out like, oh, you know, I'm just the guy that takes out the the, the, the uh, trash or whatever. Like if I'm just like doing the service just because this is who I am or who I think I'm supposed to be, it's also not I'm not present either. Yeah. You know, so it's it's like the actor that thinks the performance is in the script. Right. Yes. Right. That's good. 
if I just read the script, then I'm an actor and the story is told, but that is not the case. I'm, I'm thinking about when I, I uh, throw a tantrum with my wife about something I didn't get. could be anything. And I've done it multiple times. And I think to myself, do I really want to prove this to be true? <laughs> like what, if I prove this to be true, who are we going to become? Gets me off it pretty quick. But, uh, you know, it, it's amazing. You, you, I think you hit it on the head, Adrian. You know, in our relationship, one of the things, we have these things called do-overs. And, and I might start running my racket and throwing a tantrum. And one th- I, I think about a time I came home and I'd been gone two weeks. I've been pining all the time this year. And I come in the door and I start yelling at her because the lawn's not done. The kids left their toys out. And she slammed the door in my face and she says from the other side of the door, I'm going to open this door again. And it's going to be a new scene. Dan just came home from a long trip. He can't wait to see his wife and kids. Ready? Take two. And she opens the door. And I, I could not, I couldn't be angry. I just, this big smile on my face. Oh, and I just, like kind of overhammed it. And it felt so good to do over, right? But That is so fun. You can literally change that direction. And I've seen Adrian do it. I've seen you do it. I've seen us do it in our conversations. Mm-hmm. The idea is to first catch what the hell am I up to? And mm-hmm. is this what I want to prove? <laughs> is this what I want to have? Well, and, and let me, let me tie this. Um, I'm sure you're going to wrap at some point, but yep. the, we're coming up. I back to like folks that are thinking about this in the corporate dynamic. So if this conversation, if this dynamic isn't alive on your team, then what you're doing is trying to get the best out of the original definition you had of the person. You're actually rearranging the furniture on the Titanic, the deck furniture, (laughs) because no matter what you do, you're still going to have the same thing just in a different form. Yeah. And yes. And then what you're doing typically where the conversation is, 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 you know, you're talking about the person instead of to the person. Yeah. Right. So your most of your thoughts about your teammates are about them and their complaints in your head instead of having a vital, real end time combo about how we're doing together, which and is how, always which is always an answer in the moment. There's no answer to how are we doing as a team is an open question with an answer that exists for a second. And then a new answer to this to the same question exists the next second. And I don't mean that, I mean, I guess I'm saying it dramatically to prove the point, but literally your team doesn't exist. It just is, right? There's no, how's the team doing? That's a, I mean, people ask that question, whatever, and they answer it how they, however they answer it, but it, do, it you don't know until you go find out, right? So if, there, if there's no inquiry around where people really are, then for sure, take this to the bank. You're under, you're getting, you're, you're underutilizing, uh, people are not living up to their potential, People are under-engaged if you don't know where people are. Because even the question, how are you doing, really? Where, how can you improve? What's next for you? If you're not in those conversations and if you're listening and you're a leader, you know how very infrequently you actually ask the question. Yeah, or even, yeah, yeah, even there's so many ways to ask the question. And yes. To connect with who's there and how they're there. And I think this really gets down in, this goes deep into the motivation and management of stress because the idea that, you know, it's like you're going to prove who they are rather than have it work out, rather than learn what it's going to take to bring forth what you guys are committed to. Yeah. That's a big deal. Yeah. And you well, get it on the head. Yeah. Well, and a lot of folks, I mean, everybody as a human, you're going to naturally want to kind of uh, at some level, you're going to want to be, uh, left alone, you're going to want to be like praised and not challenged, uh, especially under stress. Yeah. Um, is you know people get weary, especially in this transition time. So having a you know, i.e., like coming out of COVID and reinventing and all that kind of stuff, people are coming out weary. A lot of people are anyway, and they feel. And then, and then there's even more unknowns than before. Like COVID was about grief, and now there's about really about unknowns for people, and um, we can easily get defensive when we feel tired, um, you know, and want 
people to cut us some slack. Well, we want it to be over. We don't want to put up, oh my God, one more time, same thing. <laughs> yeah. That's right. I laugh because there's so much Chad in that. I, that's my <laughs> that's my flip on this paradox. I I fall. Um, I'm a two self acceptance, nine self improvement with a giant flip into defensiveness. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're doing well with us. <laughs> I can hang. <laughs> well, I think, yeah, this is such great insight. I think that's a great place to, to end this conversation um, with those applicable uh, points that you guys just made about being on a team and how this, how this shows up. Yeah. So um, let me just add, here, let, me, let me just add right before we go is, yeah, this is the, really the art. I would say this is the art side of leadership. You know, we can do very data-driven conversations, and we ought to, very strategic-driven conversations. We ought to we ought to really great, have a great plan, all that. Let's just call that the science. This is the art side. This is the uh, how do I engage with myself and others in a way that opens something new up on a consistent basis. Yeah. You know, and if this sounds really foreign or even, even if your natural judgment is, oh, this is like, a, what is this, therapy? Um, that's a great judgment to justify not giving a shit. I'm inviting you to really care about your people in a way that you're willing to be transformed. And, and notice what they call out of you. Like, I don't like being with this person. That's a great, they're calling that, that'd be something to explore. Yeah. Because exploring that will help you manage the stress that that is for you whenever it comes up. Yeah. If you could, if I can find out what it is I'm judging them for and then giving them credit for, yeah. I could actually open up another possibility with them. And mm -hmm. then we've done a lot of that with our, with, with our clients where, you know, I've had clients who have had problem children all, you know, for many years, all of a sudden have a breakthrough and this person becomes one of their great allies. Yeah. It's good. I'm ready for that. <laughs> Let's do it. Uh, all right. Thanks gentlemen. This has been fantastic. Uh, I just want to mention here again, if any of this strikes, if you're listening to this, if any of this strikes as beneficial to your team or yourself and your leadership roles, let's chat. Love to do the Harrison assessment with you, map out your culture or find out what, what traits and paradoxes that, uh, you know, understanding the paradoxes where you lie in them and how that might help your leadership. So uh, there's always a link in the, in the description to our website where you can reach out to us. We would love to hear from you in this context. Thanks. Sound good? All right. Thank thanks guys. Thank you. Bye-bye everybody. Well, my friends, thank you so much for listening to yet another conversation on the Naked Leadership Podcast. Your listenership and commitment to the podcast means the world to us. If this podcast or these conversations has helped or inspired you in any way, would you mind going to Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star rating and a glowing review? This helps us grow the movement and reach more leaders and teams. Finally, the greatest compliment that you can give us is sharing the podcast with your teams and the other leaders in your life. Until next week, bye-bye, everybody. Bye.